very interesting to me because when you talk to even strong leaders about how they envision building a diverse and inclusive team, it almost immediately goes to the quote-unquote pipeline problem. And I would say to them, building a truly diverse and inclusive team is at least a three-step process. So if you only do two and you don't do one and three, it's probably not going to come to the best result. Welcome to Leading into the Unknown, a podcast by SY Partners featuring stories from leaders we admire about creating the path forward in complex times. This is Lisa Mulhart from SY Partners. Today I'm sitting down with Jana Rich, the founder of Rich Talent Group, who's been described in the press as a unicorn hunter and the power broker of Silicon Valley. For more than two decades, Jana's partnered with leading companies from early stage to Fortune 500, helping to build teams that have launched revolutions and changed the way we do business today. I've been friends and collaborators with Jana for many years, and I've always admired her warm nature and her ability to connect with and understand people. So it makes sense that she's in the business she is here today. So Jana, thank you so much for being with me today. Lisa, thank you so much for having me. Well, as you know, this is a podcast about leadership. So I'm going to start by asking you a question that you and I have talked through before, but I'd love to share with our audience. Tell us about your journey to leading your own company. What made you decide to go for it? There's many different steps along the way, but I knew that what I wanted to do was stitch together a group of people and create something really special from the combination of those individuals. So I said that to my professor, and honestly, he laughed because he did say, that's not typical. Usually somebody has this great idea for this new thing they want to create, but you're more about the team that you want to bring together. So you're going to have to go out into the quote unquote real world and figure out what that business is first, but hold on to that because it's actually really special that you are coming at that entrepreneurial passion from a different place. And so I ended up spending 18 years in executive recruiting, all with high growth consumer tech businesses. So it was that point in time where you you know, learn your craft, you feel like you've got some knowledge that you've built up, but that desire to start a company had never gone away. And what I believed was these young high growth companies wanted and were asking for a different alternative. They wanted something that was a lot more like them, quite frankly. So younger, more nimble, more creative, working at their pace, a lot less bureaucracy. So that was the moment where I finally knew both this is the offering and the chance to to build the team to create that. That's great. So you talked about your desire to build your own team. And you get to choose which leaders you want to help build teams for as well. What are the hallmarks of great leadership in, in your eyes? To me, one of the key words that comes to mind is a true spirit of partnership. They come into the conversation usually deeply committed to two things. One would be the mission of the company. There's some aspect here of impacting the broader world for good. And the second would be that the whole concept of building the strongest possible team is central to them. And the spirit of partnership comes from these two things are important to me. And I certainly have some ideas for how to make it happen, but I am engaging with you and your team because I think if we work together, it will be a better outcome versus I think a lot of leaders almost assume they need to come to you with, this is exactly what we want and need. I want to make sure that you understand it and now go find it as opposed to let's really collaborate on finding that answer together. Got it. 
So I mentioned the phrase unicorn hunter, and I think Neil Blumenthal was the first person to call you that, which is a great name for your ability to, to find that right person for the right role after you've engaged with the great leader. So what questions do you ask to really understand a person and evaluate fit between them and an organization? I will actually say I think it starts before that. I think the important piece of this story is in order to know what to ask a candidate to determine whether or not they're a good fit, is first you have to deeply understand the organization that you're working with. Let's use Warby Parker as an example. We came in and we met probably 15 different members of their leadership team in one-on-ones that were deeply confidential. We said, all we're going to do is report back themes. We're never going to say Johnny said X or Susie said Y, because you're trying to create a real environment of we are an objective outsider. And so we can reflect back to that company and that team. Here's what we've heard about what you're all saying. Here are areas in which you're very much aligned and there's always going to be areas in which you're not. And let's really talk through that because the only time I can ask the candidate the right question or make the right assessment is that true understanding on the front end. I will also say, in all sincerity, I don't think there is any one or two or three questions that are these magical questions and unlocks that would work across all organizations. But there is one question that I've asked in every single interview I've done in the 22 years I've been in business, but it's a complex one. Asking a leader to do what we call their transition tale. So take roughly 10 minutes, please. We are not asking you right now to talk about what you've done or what you've accomplished or even anything, honestly, about what the jobs were. We're actually asking you only to talk about what were those decision points where you moved from one role to another and why did you do it, right? The rationale piece. Why is that question so illuminating? Number one, and this might be shocking because we're interviewing all very senior executives, if you said 10 minutes, they can't do it. They literally kind of drone on and on and on, which is not a good sign in terms of listening skills and the desire to be engaged with the other person. And again, what is stunning to me is I would say in all sincerity, probably no more than 10% of all the people I've interviewed can do that well. So it's a question that really is a true standout. I might borrow it. (laughs) (laughs) You can. That's a great one. If I zoom out and think about what you've built here with Rich Talent Group, and you're almost five years in, you've really developed a reputation for prioritizing diversity. I know it's a big priority for you in your own business and in your partnership with clients. Tell us why you feel it's so important for companies. So I think it's really important whenever a founder has something that is core to their mission to explain briefly a little bit of their personal story. Like, why does it matter to them? You know, why was this something that has a true heartbeat throughout the entire company? And for me, that really came from growing up and knowing at an incredibly young age that I was gay and growing up in a very small town in Maine where I actually knew it wasn't going to be okay. So it was a part of myself I hid from a very early age. And then I, I show up at college with that desire to be more present, more sort of fully myself and able to contribute that I think informs that desire to get a wide variety of voices to feel included. 
And so when I was president of my class at Vassar, I had a choice then to build my student council. And I made a very concerted effort to bring all sorts of different people into that equation. And I'll be honest, it wasn't an easy group to lead because it had all sorts of very different opinions and perspectives. But I learned at a very young age that what we came out of those conversations with was always stronger because we had debated, because we had sort of roughed it up a bit, if you will. One year later, a lot of the different ethnic groups at my college one year after I'd left were really pretty disparate. And so when graduation came around, there was literally a different baccalaureate, for example, that was for the black students because they didn't feel like their cultures were represented in what was happening in the broader spectrum. And I think back to a year earlier when really diverse teams and voices were engaged in creating those events, we made sure that they had elements where lots of people felt combined because who wants to then have different ceremonies around something that should be bringing us together? So it was a very, very early sense of diverse teams perform better and that they are some of the most incredible experiences of your life. So when we came out of the starting gates, to me, I said, we want to remain small. We're not looking to be huge. So you have to really be willing to to say the things that you are and are not. And I said, basically, you're going to know us for two things and two things only. And that's digital in terms of our industry expertise and building truly diverse and inclusive teams. And when you put that out there from day one, I think to some degree then you create a virtuous circle where the kinds of people are going to want to work with you resonate with that mission. And now today you've helped many companies do that, build more diverse executive teams and boards of directors. I can see it in the evidence of your your clientele. And I also see after you've done your part finding the right person, you know that it's up to the company to help that person thrive. And I know that many leaders reach out to you for advice on this. So what advice do you give to your clients to make sure that their organizations have the conditions for those diverse teams to succeed? It's very interesting to me because when you talk to even strong leaders about how they envision building a diverse and inclusive team, it almost immediately goes to the quote-unquote pipeline problem. It's all about recruiting. It's all about how do we bring in people that diversify the team. And I always say to them, building a truly diverse and inclusive team is at least a three-step process. So if you only do two and you don't do one and three, it's probably not going to come to the best result. So one is what you'd call readiness. So it's really working with a leadership team in advance of bringing in what might be the first person that sort of looks and feels different from them. And really talking to them about, are you going to create an environment where those voices can be heard? And one of the ways you dig into that is, what are the different skills and attributes you're looking for that would be different from what you have today? And then correlating that to what's the different criteria going to use when interviewing and assessing these candidates and trying to have a very serious lens on are those criteria as open as possible or do they disadvantage certain groups? So that's the sort of readiness work. We can certainly talk about the recruiting work, but that's point two. And point three, which is probably in some ways the longest 
the most challenging and the most important of those three, which is what we'll call you know, getting the best out of those diverse teams. It's more than just onboarding, because to me, within 30, 60 days, that's over. That's not what we're talking about. There's a phrase we use called embrace the debate, which I think is incredibly important because we've already talked about diverse teams are going to have really different points of view. So it's trying to make sure the team understands decisions might take a bit longer if you really are going to allow the space for different voices to be heard. And especially in these high growth companies, oftentimes speed, pace, urgency wins out over everything. So explaining, especially in really important decisions, they may take a little bit longer. So even though we might not all feel great about it, we will hopefully at least have felt like our voices were heard. And now we have to get on board behind the decision, even if we're not 100% aligned around it. Got it. As you know, at SYP, we believe that there are some critical leadership skills that matter particularly intensely in uncertain times. And there are lots of them, but the ones that we often call out are optimism, authentic communication, humanity, and creativity. Together, we've done some events around this and brought leaders together to really interrogate how do they lead into the unknown? Which of these skills do they rely on most and which ones might they develop better? Which of those four come most naturally to you? And what are ways that you would advise other leaders to practice that skill? I would say optimism and authentic communication. I'm always a glass half full person. And I think most founders are because really what you're saying to your team is no one's done it exactly this way before, but these great things are possible. As a founder, I would say that optimism is a slightly longer term view of things. Because if you get caught in the day to day, there are absolutely going to be days where it sort of feels like a lot of things aren't going your way. But it's the founder's job, in my opinion, to keep yourself and the team focused on the longer term vision. So that's where optimism comes into play, because that to me then dovetails into authentic communication. Because if you showed up every single day saying, everything's awesome, your team wouldn't believe you for one second. So it's got to be true optimism. And there's also going to be moments along the way where you say, you know what, right now we're struggling a little bit. Let me remind you again what the long-term vision is and why we should be optimistic. But we also have to be incredibly honest about the way we're going about it right now might not be working. We might have to change the tactics, the execution, but that doesn't change the fact that we all still believe that what we're aiming towards is real and doable and possible in the long run. Future orientation and (laughs) clarity creation for your people along the way. That makes a lot of sense. Jana, you're in the people business, quite literally, and you're very focused on building your own team to be able to do that. So what things have you done in your own company, Inside Rich Talent Group, to equip your teams to bring their humanity to the work? It's a great question, because if we believe all the things we've just talked about in terms of building diverse and inclusive teams for our clients, we're certainly working really hard to be a model of that ourselves. So the first point would be creating a team that's really different than a lot of other folks who are going after trying to solve the same problems that we are. Every single member of our team, they're either female or they're an underrepresented minority. So every single member of our team comes at this perspective of, I come from something that's a bit different. 
And I'm drawn into the mission of what this company stands for in terms of building diverse teams. That does not mean, just to be clear, that it makes it any easier for us than anyone else to build really inclusive teams. So what you have to do, in my opinion, is you have to be really intentional about setting expectations for vulnerability, authenticity, creating space and time for a team to work on what they are building together versus what they are building externally. And there are many, many examples, but I'll highlight a couple. So one is we have something, many companies have it called lunch and learns, but I think ours are a little bit different. So each member of the team is asked to lead probably two or three of them a year, where they're really asked to bring something a little bit more intimate about themselves, their passions, their background, their interests. So it's getting to know each of your team members in a deeper way. You're going to have a bit of a responsibility to show up and connect more with your other team members. The second that we've done three times as a team, which has been incredibly powerful, is we've had a group session with horses. By the way, might sound very NorCal, but the idea behind this is we're not riding horses. It's an experience where in interacting with horses, you learn a lot about who you are as a person, who you are as a leader. These are large animals that you can't physically pull to do anything. But if you are clearing what you are asking them to do, move to the left, move to the right, lift your hoof, etc., you're learning something about the clarity of your leadership. It's, again, not about the work. It's about connecting and getting to know your other team members well. And it's been a highly effective way for us to shake it up and indicate to the team we're actually building something special and different. Yeah, they have an experience of it. That's a great story. We're going to wrap up with some rapid fire questions. We do this in every podcast episode. So respond by your gut. What has been your favorite leader or company that you've worked with? There's two for two different reasons. Neil Blumenthal, founder and CEO of Warby Parker, because from the day he started the business, it was very clear that social innovation and giving back was important to him. And second is Julia Hartz, who is the founder and CEO of Eventbrite. To me, it was all about building culture and building a diverse team was also something that she committed to from day one. And what's particularly exciting is they've just announced that both their leadership team and their board of directors is a 50-50 blend of men and women. I think they're really setting the stage for other companies that are growing just like they are. Yeah, fantastic. What characteristics do you look for in new clients? To me, there's really sort of three critical pieces. One is, is the company that they're building standing for something in terms of impacting the world in a positive fashion? Two, do they really commit to building a team early that's important to them? And third, the idea of building a diverse and inclusive team is something that is really front and center for them. What's the best piece of advice you have for entrepreneurs? It's a piece of advice that was given to me in week four of starting the company. And somebody very smart said to me, as you embark on this journey, there's literally going to be about a billion different decisions you're going to make. And it's going to be a little overwhelming on some level. But try to stay focused on there's basically two decisions that are at the core of everything, the two that really matter. And those are, are these the problems I want to solve? And number two, are these the people that I want to solve them with? Well, Jana, thank you so much for spending time with us today and for sharing your leadership lessons and journey with our audience. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Lisa. 
Thank you.